Our Old Testament reading is Isaiah 25, 1 through 12. Isaiah 25, 1 through 12. Let's give our attention to God's holy word together. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. For you have made a city a ruin, a fortified city a ruin, a palace of foreigners to be a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, the strong people will glorify you. The city of the terrible nations will fear you. For you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. You will reduce the noise of aliens as heat in a dry place, as heat in the shadow of a cloud. The song of the terrible ones will be diminished. And in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees. And he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken and it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For on this mountain the hand of the Lord will rest, and Moab shall be trampled down under him as straw is trampled down for the refuse heap. And he will spread out his hands in their midst as a swimmer reaches out to swim. And he will bring down their pride together with the trickery of their hands. The fortress of the high fort of your walls he will bring down, lay low, and bring down to the ground, down to the dust. Wonderful promise there of God's judgment on the enemies of his people and his promise that he will make for his people a great feast uh, and that he will satisfy them with his salvation. Let's turn now to Matthew 22, 1-14. This is our New Testament text. Matthew 22, 1 through 14. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fat. Uh, fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, 
But those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray. O Lord, make your word a swift word, passing from our ears to our hearts, from our hearts to all of our lives, that as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word, but accomplish that for which it is given. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I've never been to a royal wedding. Um, Probably none of you have either. Um, But I doubt you can find a more extravagant and lavish feast than a royal wedding. Uh, I was curious, so I looked up online uh, this week, menu for British royal wedding. Uh, I checked out one of the more recent ones. Here's, here's a sampling of, of the menu. Guests were served a number of canapes, including a poached free-range chicken and a lightly spiced yogurt with roasted apricot, croquette of confit Windsor lamb with roasted vegetables and shallot jam, and grilled English asparagus wrapped in Cumbrian ham. Guests were also served a selection of bowl foods like roasted pork belly, a chicken dish, and a pea and mint risotto. For dessert, the highly anticipated lemon elderflower wedding cake was served with some sweet canapes, including champagne and pistachio macaroons, orange creme brulee tartlets, and miniature rhubarb crumble tartlets. Is it lunchtime yet? It sounds good, right? If you know how, if you know what all that is, uh, some of it sounds really delicious, doesn't it? Um, A prince's wedding feast is marked by the best that money can buy. It's extravagant. It's it's generous. It's it's lavish. As Jesus begins this parable that we just read together, he is presenting us with, with 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 that very picture of a of a prince's wedding feast. He says in verse two that the kingdom of heaven is like a king throwing a huge wedding celebration for his son, this great wedding feast. And, and, and so Jesus, as he, he's telling us here about the extravagant grace of God in the kingdom of heaven. Um, he, he takes the most lavish and extravagant celebration that we can dream of, and he says, that's a picture of my Father's kingdom. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's a, it's a banquet of royal and divine uh, proportions. It's a feast of all the good things that God in heaven has to give. 
It is a table overflowing with the limitless power and creativity of God and His goodness for His people. Jesus is communicating to us with this uh, illustration of what the kingdom is like. He's communicating to us three things that we need to note about His kingdom. Uh, First of all, like a wedding feast, the kingdom will bring joy, life, blessing, He's picking up on this imagery for, uh, from, from Isaiah 25 that we read earlier, uh, which, which Isaiah's by, by the Spirit looking forward to, to God's kingdom coming, and he says it's going to be like a great wedding banquet. It's like this great feast. And verse 6 of 25 says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. Jesus wants us to have, a, have a, uh, uh, an appetite for the kingdom and, and to see the, the, the richness and the delight of the kingdom. Um, this is going to be a place, right? it's picturing for us the, the rich spiritual blessings that God gives. It's picturing for us what it tastes like when you know your sins are all forgiven. What it tastes like and smells like when, when you know that you are saved from the wrath of God forever. What it tastes like, what, it, what, it, what, it, what, it, what it's like to enjoy the fact that death has been swallowed up forever because God's kingdom has come. All that is, all that is good and, and beautiful in and, 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 and this world is a faint shadow of the goodness and beauty of the kingdom that is coming. And Jesus is pointing us to that. He wants us to see it. And, and, and he wants us to be as though we can almost taste it. The, the, the infinite delight of the kingdom of God. Loved ones, let us think this way about the kingdom. Now, sometimes, perhaps, we can think that being in Christ's kingdom, uh, being in, in God's kingdom is a bit of a chore. Following Christ is, is hard, and, and, and God, is, God is stingy with His grace. But Jesus says His kingdom is like a wedding feast, a lavish and extravagant giving, a gratuitous giving from God. That is how we need to see the kingdom. That's the first thing Jesus is showing us by saying the kingdom is like this, wedding feast. The second thing is, is that um, like a wedding feast... The celebration is not about the food itself. It's not about the, the, it's not about the party. It's, it's about the covenant relationship that's there. About the love between uh, the, these two people getting married. And so in the kingdom of God, the feast here that's being described is not a celebration of, of, of itself. It's a celebration of God's love for his people. And, and this feast is a, that, that Christ is saying, this is what the kingdom is like. He's saying it's about God. And his friendship with his people, his fellowship with his people, his love for his people. God himself is the feast. The Psalms speak so much about God in this way. Psalm 36, verse 8 says this, They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. Psalm 63, verse 5, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. The feast is God himself. The feast is to have him know him and be satisfied in him. Taste and see that he is good, the Psalms tell us. 
The third thing Jesus is communicating to us about his kingdom is that it's a gracious gift. When's the last time you went to a wedding and, and afterwards on your way out, uh, the, the host is handing you your bill? Right? Here, you, had, you ordered the filet mignon. Here's, here's, here's your bill. Um, thank you for coming. No. You go to a wedding, it's, the food's free. You're expected to come and just enjoy the generosity uh, of the one who's giving it. Uh, and, and this is this, this, it is not something that you earn. It's something that, that the host gives. And as Jesus presents us with this picture, he is telling us that the kingdom is a gracious thing, that it is a gift of God to us, not something that we earn. And how much more staggering is it to consider that all of this, the, the king, God, is, is giving this feast, spreading this feast, not just for people who, who don't deserve it, but people who deserve the very opposite. The king is spreading this feast for, 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 for those who, who are rebels against him. God is, the, is giving this generous, lavish goodness. He's giving himself to sinners in the kingdom. We do not deserve, brothers and sisters, anything but a famine from God. We deserve his wrath. We don't deserve to be welcomed into his heavenly kingdom and spread an infinite and eternal feast of his goodness. We deserve nothing but wrath. But in his rich mercy, he spreads us a feast. He gives us himself. He gives us Christ. He sends Jesus to pay the price for our sins and clothe us with his righteousness and bring us into his presence with joy. It's a gracious feast. And he paid for it. The question is, how do you respond to that grace? So Jesus sets up the parable this way, compares the kingdom to this king throwing this huge wedding celebration and spreading this feast, a feast of his grace. But the point that Jesus is, is aiming at the heart of his hearers is how do you respond to that grace of God? This is... Um, an important question for our Lord Jesus Christ. As he's asking this, as he's telling this parable, I think it is the question in his mind, and he's driving it right at the hearts of the chief priests and the scribes and the, and the Pharisees. It's interesting to note that this is the last recorded parable that he tells that's aimed at the, at the religious authorities. He's going to tell a few more parables later on uh, that are directed to his disciples, mainly in chapters 24 and 25. Um, but, but this one, like the previous two, it's the third in this series here, uh, is aimed at the religious leaders who have been so stubborn in their refusal to repent and accept our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's, he's pushing home to them this, this question, how God in his kingdom is, is, is offering you this rich grace. How are you going to respond to his grace? Are you going to spurn it? Are you going to continue to reject it to the point of murdering the one he sent to bring it? Or are you going to accept him and his grace? And in the parable, he calls us to respond two ways. Uh, the first way that he calls us to respond to the grace of God is to accept the invitation. This is verses 3 through 10. Accept the invitation. Um, it seems very obvious. Of course, what else would you do? with an invitation to a feast like this. You, know, you accept the invitation. Uh, there might be some wedding invitations you get in your mail that, eh, not sure you want to go to that one. But, but, but this is the kind of wedding invitation you do not refuse. 
This is going to be a high honor. It's an honor to be asked. Imagine getting an invitation to a dinner in the White House or to dine in Buckingham Palace. You wouldn't turn down that sort of thing. But Jesus, as he tells the parable, says that turning down the invitation is exactly what the religious leaders have done. The guests refuse to come. Verse 3 says that they're not willing to come. They're not making any excuses. They, they just don't want to go. Uh, they, they just ignore the invitation. It's an insult to the king to ignore his invitation, but they don't care. The king overlooks the insult and graciously sends more servants to invite them to come to the feast. And uh, he says, the, the food's all ready. We've, we've got the very best spread for you. Come to the feast. Come enjoy this feast. Share in the joy of the prince and his bride as they're about to be wed. But verses 5 and 6 show us that the guests are not just eh, nonchalant about this wedding. They are dead set against it. Um, they're actively opposed to it. Some of them go to work, their farms, their business, uh, whatever. But then the rest take the king's servants. They beat them, they humiliate them, and they murder them. This is how determined they are not to attend this king's feast. Their refusal, loved ones, to accept the king's gracious invitation to this wedding feast is a picture that Jesus is giving us for the Jews' refusal to accept the kingdom of heaven. Even as the king in the parable here repeatedly sends messengers calling them to the feast of his kingdom, um, so God continued throughout redemptive history sending his prophets, sending his messengers, calling his people to himself to come uh, and find salvation in him. And even as the invited guests refused and eventually killed the king's messengers, so the Jewish authorities uh, have continually, by and large, refused to hear, refused to listen, and persecuted the prophets. And they're about now, climactically, in just a few days' time, to persecute Christ himself and put him to death. Um, they do not count it a privilege to be invited by God into his kingdom. They count it a burden to be invited. They are spurning the grace of God to the point where they are violently rejecting the kingdom. Why? Why this violent and complete, absolute refusal to go to the king and his kingdom and his feast? They're preoccupied with their own kingdoms. Verse 5, we're told, they went their ways. One to his farm, another to his business. They're more interested in what they've got going on. They, they went their ways. It's a devastating takedown of their idolatry. They're more interested in their crops and their oxen and their, and their investments and, their, and their, their, their business trip they're going on and, and the things they have on their list and their agenda and what they've got to do. They're more interested in those things than the feast that the king is offering them. Jesus' point is, scribes, Pharisees, you are more interested in your own private petty, puny, little kingdoms, then you are interested in the kingdom of heaven coming with all the grace and goodness of God that it offers. You'd rather have your own little private, comfortable realm of control, your own crust of bread, than the feast the king offers. Now, loved ones, the Pharisees, the priests, the scribes, they didn't think they were doing this. They, they didn't see themselves this way. 
This is why Jesus is telling them the parable, to show them that they are this way. They would have thought, of course we're in the kingdom. We're, we're, we're circumcised, we're Jews, we're the religious leaders. If anyone's in, we're in. But Jesus is saying, when it comes down to it, all your religion is just a performance. Self-interested performance. You are going your own way and spurning the grace of God. Now, it's easy for us to see their mistake. It's harder for us to see our own mistake that we so often make in this same way. We might think, well, of course I'm part of God's kingdom. I'm a shoo-in. Um, I go to church. I'm baptized, part of, part of, part of, part of a, a congregation. Um, and we are tempted to let ourselves rest on those things and then just get preoccupied with our own little kingdoms and interests and, and, uh, um, and, our, and our concerns of our lives and be too busy to bother with the invitation that Christ gives us to the kingdom of heaven. Um, we satisfy ourselves so easily with the things that we can find for ourselves to enjoy instead of seeing the glories of what God offers to us. Uh, C.S. Lewis has a famous sermon called The Weight of Glory, and these words are probably way overquoted, but there's a reason for it. They're just very good. Um, he, says, he says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. As were the Pharisees and scribes and priests, satisfied with their own little kingdoms and, and, and not seeing the glorious richness of the kingdom of God that was offered them so loved ones so often, we are, we are tempted the same way to rest satisfied in the scraps of stale bread and water that we can accumulate for ourselves and turn away from the feast of grace that God offers. Do not spurn the grace of God, loved ones. Do not, uh, uh, do not, do not uh, uh, trample on, reject, or take for granted the grace of God that He's offered you in His kingdom. He offers you a place at the table with His own Son. He offers you resurrection life in His presence at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Don't trade that for anything else. Don't become preoccupied with, with anything in the place of, of that one thing. That's what Jesus is calling us to then. And then as he goes on unpacking this, he shows us the consequence of rejecting his, his invitation, of spurning his grace, and not accepting this invitation. Um, the king in the parable learns that the servants have been killed that they've been murdered uh, by those whom he himself chose as his honored guests at his son's wedding. And what does he do? He summons his troops. They go and they, uh, they, they destroy these murderers and they burn the whole city. Um, Forty years after Jesus tells this parable, 40 years or so, A.D. 70, Jerusalem will be besieged by Rome, the temple destroyed, a picture, an, an inbreaking of God's wrath uh, for the rejection of Jesus Christ 
and a warning shot of the wrath that's coming for our spurning the grace of God and, and rejecting his Christ. Um, Jesus is telling us that the judgment of God will come on those who refuse the invitation to the kingdom. What do you make of this part of the parable? It's a little bit jolting, isn't it? Some commentators find it so jolting, they think, well, this king is the opposite of what God is. Right? This, is this is violent, isn't it? I mean, if you put on a wedding invitation, please RSVP, no later than such and such a date, asterisk, fine print at the bottom, or else. That's overkill, isn't it? I mean, that's, we wouldn't do that. Um, this would be an overreaction for a human king, perhaps. Though maybe not in light of the fact that the servants that the king sent were themselves killed. But what God is doing here is not an overreaction. Um, remember that no one, no one deserves to be in his kingdom. No one deserves to be sitting down at the wedding feast of the Son of God. No one deserves to taste and see that God is good. We deserve the famine, the city burned, the wrath of God. So the surprising, the jolting thing in the parable is not the king's wrath. It's not God's wrath against our sin and refusal to come. The jolting thing is his grace in the first place. Um, The grace of God for sinners like us is what should surprise us. And and we add to this the fact that God has been so forbearing and long-suffering and and patient with his people. We we read of this in... um, in, in Isaiah 65, 1 through 3, the anguish of the words that God speaks as he, as, he, as he asks for his people's repentance. It says this, Isaiah 65, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. I held out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually. God is not short and uh, uh, quick to anger with his people. He has been long-suffering, but they continue to reject him this is what Christ himself articulates in just another chapter, Matthew 23. He'll say this, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Jesus is pleading with his people to repent and come taste the feast of God's grace. But they keep spurning it and they're planning to destroy him and kill him because that's the last thing they would ever want because they don't want to give up their own little kingdoms. And so judgment is coming on them. Loved ones, do not spurn the grace of God. He holds out his grace to you. He offers his son to you. He holds out his kingdom to you. Don't put it off or neglect it or reject it or shrug it off or make excuses or be preoccupied with your own little kingdom. Go to him and accept the invitation to his feast. That's the first thing in the parable. The second lesson about how to respond to the grace of God that's so lavishly offered in the kingdom. The second lesson is in verses 8 through 14. It says, make every preparation. Make every preparation. 
So the king now, right, he's, the guests who had been invited have been destroyed for their rebellion and their refusal. But the king still determined that his son will have a great wedding feast. And so now he goes out to invite new guests, more guests. Um, he sends out his servants and they go out to the crossroads and they call everybody, everybody who will come until the place is full. Um, they call the good and they call the bad. Indiscriminate, everyone come. Um, and the call goes out. The righteous, the sinner, all together. And many, many come. Um, these people are not like those who would not accept the invitation. Uh, these people come streaming into the feast. We're told that the hall is filled with guests. Again, they're not there because they've paid for it, because they're deserving of it, but they've simply accepted the gracious invitation of the king to come. But then there's a twist in the story. The king comes out, and he notices that one of the guests does not have his wedding garment on. He's not properly dressed. Um, there's debate about what exactly the wedding garment was, um, whether it's a special piece of clothing that the host himself would provide to everyone coming in that you were supposed to wear, whether it was a particular dress code, um, the way we might say a formal banquet, it's black tie only sort of thing. Uh, it's not exactly clear, but the point here is clear, and that is that the guests know what is expected of them to come to this feast, and they do it, except this one who knew what is expected of him and didn't do it. What has this guest done? He's presumed on the grace of the king. He has not taken care to be ready for this wedding feast. He was lazy. He was, he was unprepared. He, did, he wasn't taking it seriously. He had accepted the invitation to come, maybe out of curiosity, maybe just right, interested in a free meal. But he wasn't there because he was devoted to the king. He, wasn't, he hadn't prepared himself properly to come, and, and his clothes give him away. Um, and and uh, the point for us, loved ones, is this, that there are two ways to spurn the grace of God. One, which we already saw, is to reject the invitation to the gospel outright. The other way to spurn the grace of God is shown for us in this, in this man. It's that you accept the invitation to come to him, but you don't follow through with the necessary things that go along with it, with the proper preparations, with the fruit of obedience. Um, to truly accept an invitation is to accept that you need to be wholeheartedly committed, prepared. You need to work out your faith with fear and trembling and follow through. Jesus is calling his, his, his people not only to accept his grace uh, and accept the invitation, but to come and, and give themselves to follow him faithfully and bear the fruit of obedience. Some who hear him, some in his audience, have accepted his invitation, but not all of them are following through. Um, Judas Iscariot is probably there listening to this parable. Um, he's accepted the invitation, but he's not bearing the fruit of repentance and faith and obedience. He's not, he's not going to follow through. He's, he's the unprepared guest. And, and like the unprepared guest in the parable, uh, all those who do this will be dragged out and thrown into outer darkness, we're told, will not have a place at the king's banquet. How do we make sure but that does not happen to us. You don't want to get to the king's banquet, to God's wedding feast, and have him drag you out. 
because you weren't prepared. How do you make sure that that does not happen to you? It comes back to the question that we uh, were, were, were beginning with. How do you respond to the grace of God? Take it out of the abstract, put it, make it concrete. How do you respond to Jesus Christ? How do you respond to Jesus Christ? That's what lies at the heart of the parable that Jesus is, is telling. He is bringing the kingdom. He's proclaiming the kingdom. He's bringing the gospel. He is, he is himself coming as the salvation of his people. The question is, how do you respond to him? With a shrug, with disinterest, or crying out, Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, I need your righteous life to cover me. I need your forgiveness for my sins because of the blood that you poured out on the cross. I need your sacrifice. I need your resurrection. I need your spirit. Do you come to him that way? Asking for him, hungry for him, trusting in him. Is your, is your life under Christ, following Christ, being pulled more and more under the influence of his Holy Spirit? Loved ones, to be a worthy guest at God's feast is impossible in yourself. It's only through Christ that you are made worthy. Receiving the invitation, accepting it, and then making the preparations of calling on Christ to be saved. Following through with with faith in Him and walking in obedience to Him. Is that how you respond to Christ and to His grace? Yet the depth of our dependence on grace is even deeper than this. Um, It's only by the grace of God we accept the invitation. It's only by the grace of God we're enabled to make the proper preparations. As Jesus comes to the end of the parable here, as he finishes it, he he gives us this, this startling word. He says, many are called, but few are chosen. Many were invited to the feast. The call went out to everyone to come to the feast, but only some were chosen. Only those predestined by God. Only the elect of God accepted the invitation. And only those predestined by God made the proper preparation. Put their faith in Jesus Christ and walked in obedience to Him. Jesus is telling us that faith itself, all that He's calling for, is itself the gift of God. And so how we respond to the grace of God all depends on the grace of God. At first, it seems to be a strange way to end a parable about how you respond to God's grace. It seems like Jesus has been pushing us to choose. How do you respond to my grace? How do you respond to my kingdom? But now, at the end, he says what really matters is if you're chosen by God. Because without God's choice, no one would ever come. No one would would ever accept the invitation and come because of being dead in sin. Jesus' words are a warning to us here. They're they're telling us to to guard our heart, make sure of our election, keep our faith firmly fixed in Christ. But loved ones, Jesus' words as he closes this out are also a precious reminder that your salvation from first to last exhaustively and comprehensively is of the grace of God. It is grace through and through. He wants you to know that if you've accepted his invitation and if you're making the right preparations by his grace, All of it is because of Him and not your works. His choice, not your choice. Everyone who sits down at the marriage supper of the Lamb knows 
I am here not because of how well I accepted the invitation or prepared for this. I am here because God loved me from all eternity and God chose me by His sovereign grace and saved me when I was dead in my sins. And loved ones, it is only when you know that, when you know that there is this infinite rolling ocean of grace underneath you, that your salvation is all of the sovereign grace of God, that then you know how to respond to grace with wonder and love and praise and worship and thanksgiving to Him. So by His grace, accept the invitation. Come to the wedding feast. Come to Christ by His grace. Receive His grace. Walk in grace. Make the right preparations. Keep your eyes fixed on Him and walk in obedience. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray from the bottom of our hearts that the seed of Your Word, which has now been sown among us, would take such deep root that neither the burning heat of persecution would cause it to wither and that the thorny cares of this life would not choke it out, but that as seed sown in good ground, it would bring forth thirty, sixty, or a hundredfold as Your heavenly wisdom has appointed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.